So, Lou, you know, it's been such a disastrous week or two in sports. You know, we have the whole Ray Rice story, which is such a bummer. The owner of the Hawks is writing racist emails. We have Jerry Jones getting sued. But there is a silver lining here. That's right. We've already got Manning face. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I'm Lou DePietro. To my left, as always, my co-host, Doug Williams, uh, who does not appreciate my joy at seeing Manning Face in September. We didn't get much Manning Face, like classic Manning Face, this week. I thought he had a few typical, like, disgruntled Eli um, kind of air punches, but... A lot of times Monday will come by and you'll have the photos that are just like the last time in the preseason Manning face this year was really just crippling. Yeah, yeah. It was a tough uh, tough loss for your uh, your boys on Monday night in the opener of the Monday night doubleheader. Um, and I say that with all actual like non-sarcasm because they – the Lions kept them in it. They had a chance. Yeah. Uh, the Lions kept them in it and then, you know, kind of just put the pedal to the metal and, and took over. Um I found it funny how I believe it was SportsCenter mentioned that he was like 11 for 23 with, you know, whatever the stats were uh, when he was hurried. (laughs) And it's like, well, his dumpster fire of an offensive line, like he had no time. Of course his stats were bad in certain situations. Like, you know, it's it's what it is. The problem is that that, that all of that sounds exactly like last year. I think most rational Giants fans all of last year – we're saying you can't blame Eli. You blame the offensive line, but we had an off season to fix that problem, and you don't want it to be happening again after week one this season. It's like, why is this a diff- Why isn't this a different script? Why aren't there new issues? Why aren't? Uh, why didn't we patch up probably the biggest problem on this team from last year, which was giving Eli protection and. You know, he just looks uncomfortable. Given the fact that he's he's in a brand new offense, it would be nice for him to have some time to, to figure it out. He's working right. on different step drops. He's working on different routes. He's not supposed to be throwing deep. And, I mean, Eli is a guy that likes to throw the ball far down the field. And it's I don't envy his position right now because he's got guys rushing him all the while. He's got to be thinking a lot more than he normally would. Yeah, I mean – you know, the other thing that, that hurts the offense is, is I'm watching the game the other night, and I live in New York. I see the Giants every week, whether I want to or not. I follow football. I work in sports. I have no idea who half of that wide receiving core is. Well, you probably do know half. You know Ruben Randall and Victor Cruz. That's basically all of it. Okay, so that's two-fifths of it. Um, their tight end situation is bad. It's a tight end by committee full of unexperienced guys. But Jernigan um, was supposed to be a big part of this offense and we don't really know much about him a lot of times in the nfl people have a few good games and suddenly they're put into roles where they may not necessarily uh have earned that role like uh you know i think i don't think geno smith should be starting over michael vick it's the victor cruz syndrome he had those huge games in the preseason a couple years ago went on ir and then all of a sudden he's an all pro wide receiver Right, but he did that. What I'm saying right. is different. I'm saying, but that that perpetuates right. that now. Oh, this guy had one good game. Maybe he's the next Victor Cruz, right. and that perpetuates yeah. it. I guess that's true. You see it on both sides. But you know, D. Milliner and Geno Smith. Look at two Jets that had a decent end of the year last year, 
and both of them are looked at as huge pieces in the Jets puzzle this year. You don't know that just because they, you know, D. Miller was awful all of last year with the exception of the yep. last few games. And suddenly the script is different. And Geno Smith was awful at the beginning of last year. Everyone wanted him out. He had a few good games against bad teams at the end of last year. And now suddenly people view him as the obvious starter over Michael Vick. So the Giants do that a lot. They uh, keep their pieces and see what they grow into. And it's obviously worked. They've run two Super Bowls since 2007. Yep. But it's frustrating when they do go out and sign free agents this year, they finally went out and spent a lot of money. It's like they didn't even spend the money they needed to. Who's who's on their offensive line. I know they're missing Schwartz. Snee had that injury. He retired, but I don't know. It's a bad situation. Your Eagles. Well, they also have Will Beatty playing tackle right. who has proven for five years that he's no good. So, I don't know what uh, yeah. else needs to be said uh, or done about Will Beatty, but your Eagles had me scared because I picked them in both my survivor pools. Me too. Yeah. And they were down 17 nothing. And I will say, you know, it's interesting. This Eagles team reminds me a lot of last year's Eagles team, just like Giants. the Giants this year reminded me of last year's Giants team um, because the second half of that game against the Jaguars – they were, you know, they scored 31 points. Yep. I mean, they were classic Chip Kelly. Every, everything's working like a well-oiled machine. Everyone looks like they run four two forties on the field. A lot um, of them do. And then <laughs> suddenly um, what tends to happen and what happened last year was people start to catch up. Let's remember it was the Jaguars. But do you view it as a good sign or do you worry about the longevity of a team that is great in spurts, but not necessarily consistent. Here's here's how I view it. Um, Jacksonville is not as bad as everyone thinks they are. They're still bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're still a bad team, but they're not as bad as everyone thinks they are. Not and, as bad as they were last year, maybe? Right, no. And, and definitely won't be once Blake Bortles gets his feet underneath him and takes over from Chad Henney as a starting quarterback. Should be starting already. H- Henney right. had a good game for the first Henny, half. Henney's anyway. not bad. Um, great backup quarterback, Chad Henney. Uh, this is a team that has a couple of new offensive toys. You know, they're in the second year of a revamp of the defense. The offensive line was a little shuffled because Evan Mathis got hurt, uh, you know, with his ankle. He's going to be out for a few weeks. He's on the IR designated to return. Uh, Alan Barber, who was filling in for, uh, Lane Johnson at tackle is out for the year. He, he tore his Achilles, I believe. He's out for the year. He's put on IR. Johnson's out serving suspension. So the Eagles have offensive line woes just like the Giants. It took them a half to get their get their stuff together. Uh, Nick Foles, you know, is already 50% of the way to his interception total from last year in, in week one. You knew that was going to happen, though. I mean, you knew there was going to be a regression. Yeah, that's, I think that's why I stayed away from him in fantasy. But once they, once they kind of – once it kind of clicked and once they realized at halftime, hey, we're losing to the Jags at home – then they they kind of right. kicked it into gear. So I'm more interested to see what happens in the next couple weeks. Yeah, you know we got the Colts on the early schedule, the 49ers on the early schedule, going into the Giants game Columbus Day weekend before the bye. I'm more interested to see what happens in the next couple weeks, uh, and, and to see if the the first half Eagles or the second half Eagles are more like what they're going to be. That whole I'll say two things. First of all. Um, I also only watched the game in its NFL network fast-forward right. through replay because it wasn't on television and I was out right. on Sunday at Derek Jeter Day. Um, I'm in the same position. So, you know, I, I didn't see every single play from every single angle, but that's what it looked like to me. So, 
week one is the worst time to play a team like the Jaguars because every team, especially in the NFL, shows up on week one and says, why not us? Yep. I mean, these are all professional players. All of the guys that practice on these teams look around and say, we could be good. We could do this. Mm -hmm. And you show up week one, you lose 34 nothing, and you're like, oh, well, I guess we aren't as good as I thought we were. But when you show up, you hear the national anthem on week one and, and on an NFL team full of professional guys that were dominant in college and are highly skilled and strong and fast. You think we got a chance at this. This could be our year. And it takes a few games to figure out who really is bad and who is good. So I'm with you. I really think it's a bad time to play the Jaguars in the first half. They showed you they were motivated and believed in themselves, etc. The other thing I would say is it's maybe – it's one of the mysteries of the NFL right now. Can these schemes and players, so can a Chip Kelly scheme, can an RG3 survive for long, long seasons into the playoffs, into the Super Bowl? Because we've seen the players themselves, RG3, uh, Michael Vick, break down in the past. Um, we've seen Chip Kelly's scheme last year start off really hot, and teams did not know what to do, and that kind of faded as well. And I know Russell Wilson won the Super Bowl last year, but he's not really that type of scrambling quarterback. So are we witnessing some sort of transformation in this league where the the agile, faster, um, less kind of fundamentally sound, less atypical NFL offenses are, are being weeded out? And if so, is the are the Eagles a mixture of that, or are they leading the parade in terms of the new way of running an offense? I think they're leading the parade in terms of a new way of running the offense because you have this has become a passing league in the last few years. And while you have the Bradys and the Breezes and the Rogers of the world, uh, you know, and Peyton Manning, <laughs> Russell Wilson won the Super Bowl last year. Colin Kaepernick has had the 49ers in the NFC Championship game in the last two years. Chip Kelly's offense with, I, I said it last week, where system quarterback has kind of become a pejorative term in the NFL. But if you took out Nick Foles and put in Mark Sanchez, it's the same offense. You know, I, I don't know if I've said it on here or if I've only said it to you and others, but I, you know, I like Michael Vick. I, he did great things in Philadelphia. I have nothing bad to say about him in terms of on-field performance. He's the perfect backup quarterback to Geno Smith, but he's the absolute worst thing you want in New York right now. Because if you take out Geno Smith and put in Michael Vick, they run the same style of offense, the same style of quarterback. Geno Smith's arm is not as strong as Michael Vick's, but they run the same kind of, they're that atypical, can scramble well, think on their feet kind of quarterback. That's the offense Geno Smith ran at West Virginia when he had Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey and 900 other guys who ran four two forties. That's the kind of offense Michael Vick has run his entire life. The problem with Vick is that he's a you know a veteran who has led his team to the playoffs and this and that and been to an NFC Championship game in Atlanta. So if Geno falters, it's going to be like, well, Vick gives us the best chance to win. That's a bad situation. But in terms of theory, that's perfect. Mark Sanchez and Matt Barkley and Nick Foles are really the same kind of classic drop back, not great arm strength kind of quarterbacks that fit Chip Kelly's system. Colin Kaepernick, you know, was the same kind of quarterback that Alex Smith was in theory when he came out of Utah in that Urban Meyer offense, and the 49ers didn't miss a beat. 
So I, I think that's the kind of that's kind of the way it's going. You're going to have the gunslingers, the Rogerses, the Breezes, the Bradys, the, the Peyton Mannings, like I said. But I think that's the way it's going. And that's why I think the one quarterback of, of the three who lost in week one from the NFC East, the one quarterback who you should look at that loss and go, all right, he's going to be the, he's going to be okay out of it is RG three, because Eli Manning is a very good quarterback on a team with limited wide receiver back skill players, you know, talent and no offensive line. It's going to be tough for him to overcome that to will his team to win the way his brother could. It's going to be tough for Tony Romo to overcome the fact that he's Tony Romo because he's got that pedigree. Whereas RG3 is a little bit of a different animal. Yes, it's embarrassing that they lost to the Texans at home, but his style of offense and the game they play is going to be more suited to winning games in the NFL as time goes on. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I know what you mean. But it's hard for me to say that RG3 is in a good situation considering I think there's a decent chance he's not the starter at the end of the season. It's very possible. Kirk Cousins has done nothing. How do I put this the right way? Kirk Cousins has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to prove why he's the backup. I, like, I don't know I, if I that mean, makes think, sense. You know what I, mean? I think he's done everything right in, yeah. in the opportunities he's been given. All he's done in the opportunities he's been given is come in and show that he can do this job. Right. I, I don't know, Lou. I think I think the winning the winning recipe right now in the NFL is a guy who when when he hikes the ball is thinking, I'm gonna throw. And if that is not open, he can run. And I think that that's what you saw in Russell Wilson that was so devastating was that you had to prepare for him to throw. That was your main goal, considering they had Golden Tate and Percy Harvin and Sidney Rice all year. You had to prepare for that. That was what made Michael Vick so good at the beginning of his career because people were preparing for the throw because they didn't even realize that it was possible for a quarterback to be that athletic. It's the same thing at the beginning of uh, RG3's career. What we're seeing is it's impossible for a quarterback to have longevity when he's clearly just a runner, not only through injuries, but because defenses are just going to be like, hey, we'll just stop the run. If you can't create with your arm, then you're not going to be successful against us. That is why I do think the Eagles are doing well here. They have an offense that's based on this kind of specific niche of quarterback. I don't know if Chip Kelly came out into the NFL hoping for that, hoping for a Nick Foles or a Mark Sanchez, but I think it works because it's a, an offense that's based around speed, but he's saying, we're going to beat you with a quarterback with an arm. We're not going to fiddle around with the other stuff because right. it's just too difficult. He's a classic quarterback. The thing about the Eagles' offense is, okay, they went out and got Darren Sproles this offseason, who is a dynamic running back in terms of what he can do out of the backfield. And LaShawn McCoy is a top three back. You can rank him, Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles, Arian Foster when he's healthy. You know, It's an interchangeable group, but he's a top five back. The thing is, is... You know, you know of Deshaun Jackson. Yes, he made the Pro Bowl as a receiver and a punt returner a couple years ago. You know Jeremy Macklin's fast. You know Riley Cooper for a possession receiver is faster than you think, and he's tall. You know, he's the perfect kind of outside weapon. This is a team whose offense, everyone can beat you. You look at the Lions offense, for instance. Megatron had a massive day 
against the Giants. Golden Tate chipped in. Eric Ebron chipped in. You know, Pettigrew got a couple passes. Joyke Bell and Reggie Bush did what they did out of the backfield. You shut down Megatron, that offense is half of what it is. Who do you shut down on the Eagles? If you shut down Riley Cooper, you have Jeremy Macklin who can burn you. If you shut down Jeremy Macklin and Riley Cooper, you've got Sproles and McCoy that can beat you out of the backfield. If there's pressure going on, you have two tight ends and Selick and Ertz who are basically the same skill set of tight end that can that are interchangeable. It's a very interchangeable offense. No, I agree. What I agree, and I think that, that these are all reasons why they're favored in in the division. New Orleans is the same way. Marcus Colston is on a little bit better level than anyone else in that wide receiving core, and Jimmy Graham is a beast. But if you shut down Jimmy Graham, Colson can beat you. And if you shut down Colson, the other receivers can chip in enough to beat you. Lance Moore was really good at that. Yeah. Now he's in Pittsburgh, so it's kind of different. But then same thing. You know, they have three guys in the backfield. Ingram is a good runner. Pierre Thomas is a good runner. He can catch balls out of the backfield, this, that, the other. It's a dynamic, interchangeable there offense. There are a lot of teams um, in the NFL right now that have are very deep in the skill position players. I mean – I know you mentioned the Lions, but the Lions are are incredibly deep. They have two different running backs who are both very good in their roles, and they picked up Golden Tate to go along with Calvin Johnson, a guy who was the number one option on the Super Bowl winning team last year. That is the recipe around the NFL right now is create enough guys, skill position players on your team to give the defensive coordinators headaches. Uh, Puts less pressure on the quarterback, and it's, you know, I don't know. After week one... There were moments where Denver looked scary good. There were moments where, you know, a bunch of teams looked scary good, the Lions included. But who is going to beat the Seahawks? Seriously. When you have almost a guaranteed eight wins a year at home and you're better than half the teams you play on the road, you're looking at 12, 13 wins and you're going to have some sort of home field advantage in the playoffs. And you're going to get into the championship game at the very least. And that game was never close. I mean, there were times where the score was close, but that game was never close because every time the Seahawks needed to punch it into fifth gear, they did. Yeah. That, that's just that's how they operate. Yeah. And they beat a good team in the Packers. I mean, that's a very good team. A team people, you know, that, that are like SI picked to go saying, to yeah. the Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who's going to beat them? Denver? <laughs> I mean, Denver, they, they lost Decker. They lost Wes Welker for the first few games, but they don't look like they missed a beat because Julius Thomas is just as much of a beast as he was last year. Emmanuel Sanders is like the perfect replacement in that wide receiver core with his skill set. Emmanuel Sanders can run. And Demarius Thomas is emerging as a top 10 receiver. So yeah, they, they won't miss Decker. He's a good player, but Emmanuel Sanders is a big star. He's going to be a yeah. star. Um, and I'm glad I accidentally stashed him on my fantasy keeper yeah, that team was last year. Yeah, smart move. Smart move. Um, Lou, we'd be, I guess, remiss or or basically just not doing our jobs if we didn't touch on um, the, the Ray Rice the story. The big NFL issue right. of the week. Yeah. And there's not much that we can say that hasn't been said. Um, the Ravens botched this, considering the fact that they, they. I feel like people have stopped talking about this by this point, but they really tried to make Ray Rice look like a hero when he came back uh, for practice uh, in training camp. They the standing ovation in the preseason him, game. Yeah, on their website is you know he's back. Like welcome back, Ray. They tweeted out that his his fiance at the time was you know regretful of her actions that night. The Ravens don't have to tweet that out. So. 
Ravens PR, I think, was the first loser in this whole mess. But then, you know, the NFL, obviously, as I'm sure all our listeners know, looked, looks terrible for the TMZ video coming out and the NFL acting like they hadn't seen it and blah, blah, blah. It's just been going on for for, uh, days now, nonstop. Um, I guess we'll just both say our opinion on it and then we'll move forward. What, 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 uh, what do you have to say? Well, do you want to go first? Cause mine's going to be a little lengthier, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I'm going to make a valid case. Not saying you're not, I'm just saying, I'm gonna, so if you want to say what you got to say first, I'll wait. All right. I, I, I feel like this, you're, you're going to do a filibuster, like <laughs> not quite stand up and not quite. This is something you've clearly rehearsed. No, it's something I've been thinking about for days. Yeah. Cause I knew we were going to talk about this. All right. Well, um, you know, I don't know. I thought Ed Werder uh, put it really well on Twitter when he said, you know, when given a choice, the Ravens, uh, you know, had Ray Rice's back in this whole situation. I'm paraphrasing. And when given no choice, they released him. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much exactly what this was. Um, the Ravens saw their best running back um, dragging a woman out of the elevator and in the elevator, I will still say this is still a true point and a fact. In the elevator, we had not seen what actually happened. Was it the kind of situation with you know Jay Z and Solange, where she was just going insane and throwing arms everywhere, and you know Jay Z just was kind of defending himself? You don't know if Ray Rice was defending himself. She slipped and fell. The actual facts of what happened in the elevator were unknown until this elevator came out. Now, I mean the elevator video. Uh, came out. Now that we've seen it, say what you will about what this makes us, that we, for some reason, needed this video to uh, release Ray Rice and suspend him indefinitely, etc. But the video, we are human beings. We Once we see things, we feel them more. Mm-hmm. Um, once we see video of something, it makes more of an impact on our psyche. And seeing this video... Not only was it proof, okay, he delivered a nasty left hook and knocked her out. And B, it gave us kind of that feeling of, wow, you know, like that actually happened. This is a legitimate thing. This is disgusting. This is a despicable human being, a coward, etc. cetera. Um, saying all that, you know, the NFL is just, it's a, they look like they're outdated, out of touch, culturally illiterate they don't seem to understand the fact that half of the country is is getting $25 tickets for marijuana and somehow that's that is is a longer suspension than beating your wife and i understand that he's now been suspended indefinitely but you kind of it's that kind of situation where you know if you do something and someone gets angry you rescind it and that's exactly what happened the nfl did something stood by it then everyone got pissed and they changed their mind. So I just think it's a poor reflection on the NFL. It's not a new opinion that you're not going to hear 90 other places today. But um, I just think facts are facts. John Harbaugh, Ozzie Newsom, everyone else in the Ravens organization that had a hand in this underneath the owner, Roger Goodell, Adolfo Birch, and the NFL legal counsel should all be unemployed. That's my thoughts on this. Here's why. I understand the Ravens having Ray Rice's back until they had no choice. That's a business decision. They were doing what was best for business based on what they knew. 
problem is Steve Bishotti's letter that he sent out to Ravens fans and the populace at large this week basically flat out says at the point where we learned, you know, what happened from Ray Rice and the justice system stepped in and he was arrested and then the charges were brought up and then he was put into the pretrial diversion program, this and that. They basically stopped their investigation saying that's good enough for us without looking deeper into things. And Steve Bishotti admitted that the Ravens messed up doing that. Great. You want to admit that you messed up? Fire everyone involved. Start over. It was good enough for you to terminate Ray Rice's contract because he messed up. You have to hold the people who failed to do their jobs and their due diligence in this situation. You have to hold them accountable as well. And I understand John Harbaugh talking on Monday night and saying the video wasn't made available to us, this and that, the other thing. And I'm going to get on that later. But everyone there basically said, this is good enough for us. We don't need to worry about it. And then five, six months later, here comes what happened. Here comes the truth. And they all look like they had their heads in the sand. That's a bad look. Pardon the expression. That's a black eye on that entire organization. I understand your point also about, you know, we didn't see the elevator video. And that's my response to everyone who's like, well, what did you think happened in the elevator? I don't know. Right. I, I know what happened in the elevator. Somehow, Janae Rice was knocked unconscious. Exactly how and what the circumstances are, nobody saw. You can assume Ray Rice knocked her out, and the tape shows Ray Rice knocked her out. But until you physically see the evidence, if, I, if you and I came into work tomorrow, and there was a videotape of, of you walking in the door with a black eye, and the last person you were seen with was me, people could assume that I punched you in the face. But until you see tape of me punching you in the face, you can't necessarily hate me for punching you in the face until you know I did it. Right. right? So that's the situation there. On the NFL side... Well, you already said everyone should lose their jobs. Right. On the NFL side, the problem is this. Roger Goodell has made his living, has made his name, his legacy as NFL commissioner, as the iron-fisted, we won't tolerate this crap, don't you dare smoke weed or drink or act like a thug, and I'm going to get you, commissioner. And this guy goes and knocks his wife out in an elevator and basically gets a, a slap on the wrist and a, all right, here's a timeout. First of all, that's completely incongruent with anything he's done in terms of any other criminal offense committed by anyone else in the league under his iron rule. Okay. It's, it's great that they came forward and, and added the domestic violence policy. I agree with a lot of people who have tweeted, why is there a, why is there a second strike on that one? That's Domestic violence is a touchy issue in that way because it shouldn't happen, period. Neither should any other law be broken, but this transcends that in terms of human emotion. They also said, we didn't see the tape. We asked for the tape. It was never made available to us, this, that, the other thing. And they basically gave them a slap on their wrist and put their heads in the sand until they were backed into a corner and said, uh-oh, we're, uh, we're, we look kind of stupid. We need to do something. The, entire, the entirety of the situation has seen the NFL brass be reactive instead of proactive. And now it's come to the point where if you're an owner, how do you trust the commissioner's office to do what's right for the league and what's best for business 
based on what you've seen out of this situation. How do you trust the league if you're a fan to do what's best for business in this situation? You you can't. You can't trust them. Their position has become untenable. Keith Olbermann gave this rant on his show on Monday night better than I ever could that their position has now become untenable because in an era where they're the iron-fisted, proactive, don't you dare do this, they went and put their heads in the sand on an issue that's much, much worse in terms of the court of public opinion than anything, they, any justice they have handed out on any other issue. I, I, I think it was well said by you. Um, here are a few frustrating truths. Um, first of all, it's it's maybe the hardest thing to to kind of gang together to to group together the fans and boycott in the world. Yep, you are a huge NFL fan. You're a fantasy owner. I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm a fantasy owner. Everybody is annoyed by this story. Everybody is hurt by this story, and everyone has an opinion about the story that involves some sort of negativity directed at the NFL. Are we going to do anything about it? No. no, I'm going to sit there on my couch right. on Sunday and watch And you're going to pay money. People yep. are going to pay the $9 a month to get uh, NFL Sunday ticket. It's I just paid $490 for three tickets on the secondary market to yep. an Eagles-Giants game in six weeks. Of course you did because it's an addiction and it's a sport that we all love. And, you know, our love is not for Roger Goodell and the current NFL. No. Our love is for a jersey, in your case, the Eagles, my case, the Giants, that's going back to when we were four years old. It is unfortunate because Michael Kay uses this word a lot and has used this word a lot to describe this story. It's just a joke. The The league is a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they've handled almost every situation involving a touchy subject, the way that they've handled Josh Gordon, the way that they've handled this situation, it's pretty awful. The way that they've handled the concussions, even though Roger Goodell thinks he's making the league safer, He's making it so much more unsafe, just the general vibe of this league, the fact that the players are unhappy. It's clearly a topic that even other players are really upset by because these players have wives and their wives are saying, are you really going to go to the locker room right now and go and go give Ray Rice a hug? Because that's not what you should be doing. It's like, well, I don't have a choice. He hasn't been kicked out of the league. What am I supposed to do? So... Roger Goodell needs to be more in touch, not only with the players, uh, the coaches, but just with what's going on. It's an issue when, like I said, in in terms of the way the discipline has been handed out in his tenure, it's this is the policy I told you so. This is why, because I said so. It's like when your parents tell you that, like, why can't I stay up late? Because I said so. That's his that's his method of discipline until an issue comes along where he hasn't said anything about it. And then, well, then we'll just kind of sweep it under the rug and, oh, uh oh, we can't. All right. We got to do something now. It's two faced in a way. Yeah. And it sucks. And Twitter has exploded with NFL players in the last few days tweeting their disgust over the whole situation and with the commissioner and things like that. When the players are actively rallying against the brass, that's where his position has become untenable. I mean, it's the word basically corruption, Lou. It's like Mm -hmm. when the people who are supposed to be making the important decisions in terms of, I don't know what you could call it in this case. It's like what Adolfo Birch and Roger Goodell do is they set guidelines. They set rules. They make the rules and they punish people who break them. 
when those people are not making level-headed decisions, like Adolfo Birch goes on Mike and Mike and says that he totally is behind the two-game suspension, that he thinks it's exactly what the NFL needed to do, and he thinks that it's, you know, we don't, there's a lot of information we don't know. It's just lying. Yeah. It's lying. It's the people that are getting others in trouble for lying, the guys who, you know, the players who lie or the players that smoke weed or the players that drive drunk. You can get those players in trouble, but when you go on Mike and Mike and lie to all of our faces, the nation's faces, you don't get in trouble? No. And the other, the other issue I have a problem with is that I understand legal ramifications that in an active case, you know, it's against New Jersey law that they can't – the casino or the law enforcement can't provide this footage to a third party, whatever. In the letter Roger Goodell's office sent out to the league that the NFL tweeted – The National Football League tweeted on Wednesday, it says in it that as far as we know and we're concerned, this was still an active active legal open case, which is why they can do it. Then how the hell did TMZ get this video? How does does the, the person, the entity that people think is the biggest scumbag group of people in the world, the paparazzi, which is what TMZ is in its barest form, and Harvey, Harvey Levin's a lawyer, so he knows how to get around. Like, he knows what to do in these situations. He knows how to do what he's doing in a way that isn't illegal. How does that entity get this information? And the damn league that's investigating it can't. Well, I think... Come on. Well, if the league didn't get it, I understand. say what you will about why. But TMZ getting it makes total sense to me. It does because that's what they do. But No, but also because they don't have any vested interest in the NFL. Right, but how can, how can TMZ, who is a third party, a private entity, come out and get this and exploit this and whatever? And the NFL can come out days later and say, well, this, as far as we knew, we couldn't do this. Look into it. That's either a lie. It's a or lie. An, it's either a lie or an absolute lack of knowledge of how to do your job. And either way, it sucks. It's like it's like almost the the white lie of just not saying anything. It's like I didn't lie to you. I just didn't say anything. In this case, I don't think the NFL went digging to get a big earner in Ray Rice yep. in further trouble. Guy who sells a lot of jerseys, a bell cow running back. Uh, yeah, I get it. But that but then now as a player how do you trust the commissioner's office to do the right thing? This is what happens to Ray Rice. If you're Jarrell Jernigan or if you're Dennis Kelly, the current starting right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles because both of their two are, are hurt or suspended. If Dennis Kelly beats his wife in an elevator, how do you trust him? How, how do you trust Roger Goodell to handle your situation? Because you're not a big earner. You're a minimum wage making backup offensive tackle. How do you trust him to, to, to do the right thing? Because if this is the treatment that we as the league are going to give, if, if that's the situation, how you look at it, this is the treatment we as the league are going to give one of our stars. What happens when it's somebody nobody cares about? He's dying. I guarantee you Roger Goodell is dying for that opportunity, Lou, because he's going to use it to say, oh, see, you're yeah, out. You're out. Look what I did. Yeah. But in reality, it's like, well, that decision m- mattered much less to you than yep. a big-time earner, a guy who is yep. – a lot of fans go to uh, Ravens games to see their, you know, best player, offensive player in Ray Rice. It, it, it's a good point. He must be salivating, waiting for that opportunity to show how good of a guy he is. And by the way, you know what? In an era where social media and the paparazzi and all this is, is looked at and poo-pooed upon as evil, and all, good on TMZ. Oh, yeah. Good on TMZ for bringing this to Good life. on TMZ. And, you know, 
obviously there are tons of news organizations. This is a point that Michael K was making today. Tons of news organizations, NBC, ABC, uh, Fox. They didn't get it because guess what? If they go get it, Roger Goodell is going to be reviewing their broadcasting rights, and he's going to say, you guys went and got us in big trouble. Yeah, hey, Fox, that's a little yeah, tough. Yeah, that's a little tough. I'm going to make hmm. you pay you know, five more billion dollars or whatever it is. So, yeah, good on TMZ. They had the best opportunity to go and do this. If you're a really good uh, a, a journalist and you're really into getting to the bottom of things and not caring what everyone else thinks of you, I can imagine that's a pretty fun place to yeah. work. And now apparently the federal government is going to look into this whole situation, which is a good use of our time. <laughs> yeah, I feel we don't have we don't have more important things going on. I feel like, the same way, but if there's some kind of higher level corruption or whatever going on, then then at least if it exposes that, at least maybe it comes off as semi positive. But to finish out this entire discussion, the person I feel the worst for is Janae Rice because she got trotted out there on the stage by the Baltimore Ravens months ago and basically had to play the victim in you know, the tweet with she apologizes for her role in the incident and all that. And now everyone involved with that whole charade looks like an idiot. And, you know, I pray for her because of what she said on Instagram the other day with, you know, you're digging up bad memories and this and that. And we're going to show you what true love is. And you know what? I love my wife. And that love doesn't include me ever in any circumstances punching her in the face. Right. And, and I, I'm sorry. You know, she can. It's very hard to react to what she said on Instagram. And I think that you would agree with that because a lot of the things that she said seem to conflict the morals of this whole situation. And unfortunately, from a psychology standpoint, that's a pattern of right. what happens in cases of domestic right. abuse. And that whole Twitter hashtag with why I stayed, it's become right. a big thing. You know, the bottom line is that her safety is still a concern of mine. And I think it's still a concern of a lot of fans out there considering Ray Rice doesn't have a job now. He lost his biggest sponsorship in Nike. What is going to happen now? Is Ray Rice a steady individual to hitch your wagon to? Because he just beat you unconscious and in is, an elevator. Is that why she stayed? Because you know he's uh, he's her mail ticket. Like I mean, there's so much, there's so many more complex layers of psychology involved in that whole situation that you or I could debate for hours and never even scratch the surface of. Right. But we'll find out in the coming weeks, months, years as this situation progresses because it's not over, but by any means. And one other thing I want to say about social media, too, you mentioned it in the in the open 45 minutes ago about, you know, the Hawks owner selling the team because Danny Ferry made racist comments and this and that. And there's the kid from the Citadel who put on Facebook that his game plan against Florida State the other day was basically take everybody out and go for the knees. And, you know, Florida State had three linemen leave the game with leg injuries last weekend. In In a country where... One complete side of political thought is as constitutional as it gets in terms of interpretation of laws. And as on the other side, the entire rest of the world is in terms of selfies and all this other social media crap. It baffles my mind how people don't understand the consequences of things they do, especially in a world where anything and everything you do is going to be brought to light at some point if you put it in any semi-public forum. Yeah. It's amazing well, and baffling uh, and horrendous in my mind. I think, I think we would both agree that Roger Goodell has not helped a lot of what has just happened, um, especially in this whole situation. I don't think Roger Goodell has done a good job over the past two years or three years. 
But I do think that a lot of the problems that the NFL has are guys that probably wouldn't have gotten in trouble 50 years ago. But this is a different era. It's harder to be it's harder to be an athlete, it's harder to be in pop culture, it's harder to be in the spotlight. It's harder than ever. And I I get you saying, you know, why don't people get it yet? Why don't people get that every decision you make is on the national scale? But you know, is it really something that these people are told from a young age that when you get famous, you're going to need to go into a rabbit hole? I, I, I just think that especially today, it is a mixture between stupidity, but also just the fact that it's, it's gotten crazy, the amount that, that we pay attention. It affects anybody. There's a kid suing his high school basketball coach and the school because he was cut from the team. After he made disparaging comments about not playing on Twitter and his defense is freedom of speech. How do you not understand that, yes, that freedom of speech prevents you from being prosecuted or persecuted or any cuted? But it doesn't mean that if I'm your boss or your coach or whatever, I can't look at that and go, you're not the kind of person. I don't want that attitude in my organization. And that freedom of speech does not protect you in that manner. Oh, yeah. You are not protected from... If I if I walked around here saying bad things about our boss or you or anyone else to anyone and everyone that listened to, I can say that because I have the freedom of speech and the right to say that. But our boss also has the right to say, you know what, we don't want that kind of attitude in our organization and fire me. I don't understand how people don't understand the basic difference in that. And with all the stuff that's going on, not even the Ray Rice thing, but the Donald Sterling situation where that was a private conversation that was – you know, leaked all the way around to now we have the owner of the Hawks selling the team because Danny Ferry made racist comments about Lou Dang. Yet, yet nobody is like in this uproar, like, Oh God, we got to get rid of Danny Ferry. It's the same situation only worse because Danny Ferry said it in a semi-public conference call forum. I, I don't get it. Yeah. You just I, need I, to start saying the right thing. I don't get it. doesn't matter if there's a camera in front of you. Uh, I, 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 Mark Cuban made a good point about it and said, you know, I live in a glass house, basically, you know, mm-hmm. acknowledge it and, and then yeah. just try. Maybe you use this to strive and be a good person. I don't know. You, live- you can complain about how it's unfair all you want, but there are tons of people that are under the spotlight that don't get in trouble every day. So the fact that you send a racist email, that's your that's your fault. You might have thought it was private. Nothing's private on the Internet. Like Mark Cuban said, if. He's going to admit he lives in a glass house. You know what? If you want to throw stones, don't bitch when the windows are broken. That's pretty much it. That's the way you have to live your life now. This is the 21st century. We've got selfies in Starbucks, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 21st century. We haven't even scratched the surface of baseball, which is what signs our paychecks. So anything you want to add about what's going on, 20 games left, the Yankees are five and a half out, and 31,000 people showed up to the stadium on a Tuesday night in September? No, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not going to be dramatic about the attendance thing. Kids are back in school. Um, the Yankees are starting to lose uh, their grip on a playoff position. I'm not surprised by it. I think that given the fact that we're we're at September 10th, there's 20 games left. All the games are in the AL East, who the Yankees happen to struggle against particularly. Um, it's time to look towards next year. And can find solace in that Yankee fans because you have a lot of pitchers returning. Uh, there are a lot of question marks on your on your you know on your team, especially because Derek Jeter's leaving. 
Alex Rodriguez is coming back. There's a lot of questions to be answered. But you lost four-fifths of your rotation for the majority of the season, and your lineup has you know, had some injuries and generally just hasn't performed. It's getting to the point where we just need to accept that fact. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they've been eliminated. Something crazy could technically happen. But um, I think it's, for the most part, time to look forward to next year. Yeah. At this point, if the Yankees go 15-5 and five the rest of the way, they have to hope that Detroit and or Seattle both are 500 teams which has not been the case all year. They've been above 500 all year, so why would you expect any different now? And it's funny that the Mets shut down David Wright, finally, officially for the season yesterday or Monday, and uh, it shows you the wide range and difference of expectations between both sides of town because that's the Mets. They shut down David Wright. They know they're not playing for anything. He's not 100%, so you know what? You're done. Sit down. Whatever. Would the Yankees absolutely love to do the same thing for Brett Gardner? Maybe. The way Joe Girardi made it sound that his abdominal injury is good, bad, who knows. Would it be better? Would they be better off? Would Tanaka be better off if he was just shut down and said, you know what, heal it, whatever, we'll go, we'll wait next year? Sure. But with the difference in expectations, until that magic number is zero, you can't on this side of town. Yeah. It's just not and – the, and the Mets, by the way – statistically are a half game closer to a playoff spot than the Yankees are right now. I know. So, <laughs> you know what? They, they, I would say they're even in terms of expectations for last year. That's not a discredit. I mean, next year, that's not a discredit to the Yankees. It's, it's the Yankees have a lot of pieces coming back. They have a lot of decisions to make, but you know what? The good part about being a Yankee fan is everybody, your, your, your GM, your owners, your coach, your players are not going to mail it in. This is not a team that accepts what's happening right now. No. And I don't understand why Yankee fans don't appreciate that more, knowing that the fact that you're not making this playoff, the playoffs this year will teach whoever made mistakes last offseason and will force ownership to get back in it. And that is what you want if you're a fan. You want If, if you're going to lose in the wild card game in the playoffs, that's great. You made it to the playoffs. Whoop-de-doo. But if you're not going to make the playoffs and, and it urges your general manager to make more smart moves and, and fill holes and make sure that two years in a row without October never happens again, mm-hmm. maybe look at the bright side there. And you know what? To be honest, if you lose in the wild card game or you don't make the playoffs, the difference in that is semantics. It's, there's really no difference. You played one extra game. It's semantics. Yeah. So you know, if, if this team has constructed, made it all the way to the ALCS – then you could say, you know, okay, we had positive building blocks. This is where we are held back, this, that, the other thing. Anything less than that is really semantics at that point. So I'm looking forward to next season, as I said last week. I know you just said you're, you know now it's time to look forward to next season. The Yankees aren't going to do that until, like I said, the magic number is zero. But you have to at least appreciate the fact that until that magic number is zero, they're not going down without a fight. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And that's going to do it for this edition of the S-Men. That's pretty much it for <laughs> what we what we have to say about things. Uh, next week, we'll be one week closer to the end of the year, so maybe we'll have a little more perspective on the Yankees. We'll have a little more perspective on the NFL in week two. And maybe we'll have a little more perspective on some other stuff. That's why you have to come back and keep listening. Until then, for Doug, I'm Lou. We're the S-Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>